Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. Uh, we've got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. Uh, we're being joined on the program by Tyson Blazer. Tyson uh, is a catching coach in the New York Yankees minor league system, and uh, we're pretty pumped to have him um, on the podcast today. I'll give you a little background on Coach Blazer before we get into questions with him, so you can get to know him a little bit better and kind of where he's been and where he's come, where he comes from. He is a Taylor Ridge, Illinois native. He played uh, baseball at the University of Iowa. He was there for five years, including a redshirt year, and then went on to play pro ball for four years from 2011 through 2015 with the New York Yankees, made it as high as AA uh, with the Yankees. He is a 2011 graduate of the University of Iowa. When he was finished with his playing career, he coached for a year and a half uh, at United Township High School in East Moline, Illinois, where he also taught U.S. history. And then in January 17. He got a phone call uh, from the New York Yankees and was hired as that year was hired as the bullpen coach for the Triple A team, the Scranton Wilkesbury Rail Raiders. Uh, that call was uh, was unexpected, out of the blue, not a job he applied for, and, and that'll be something that we can definitely get into, you know, once we start the podcast, just to kind of hear what that was all like. That was 2017. In 2018 and 19 seasons, he was the defensive coach and catching coach for the Staten Island Yankees. That is the single, uh, I'm sorry, the, the short season single A affiliate uh, of the Yankees in the New York Penn League. Uh, Coach Blazer just spoke at the ABCA convention in Nashville uh, in, in 2020, January 2020, just a few weeks ago. Uh, Tyson Blazer, really appreciate you spending some time with us here today. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to be on with you. I'm really excited that you reached out and that we connected. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Absolutely. So I, the first thing that I, I'd like to usually start with something in the bio that kind of sticks out to me, and I definitely want to hear uh, what you talked about at the convention, you know, what you presented there. But first thing I'd like to just ask about um, is the call that you got from the Yankees uh, in January 2017. It was not, again, uh, from what I from what I understand, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but it was not a job you applied for or, or were really even looking for. It just was kind of something that, that popped up. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, so it was out of the blue. You were correct in, in, in saying that. Um, very ironic, actually. Uh, my wife and I were out uh, on New York New Year's Day in 2017. Uh, we were walking, and we were talking. Um, out for a nice stroll, decent weather that day, and I was just kind of like saying, kind of want to get back into the pro side of things. Um, I wanted to be you know, challenged a little bit more intellectually on the baseball side of things. Um, I liked where I was at, but, I, you know, there was just a little bit, something nagging. I wanted a little bit more. And ironically, it was about two weeks later, we had got back to uh, school from our winter break, and I got a phone call from my catching coach in high A from when I played back in 2012. And uh, he said, your name popped up. We have this uh, position that kind of opened up late in AAA as our bullpen coach. Um, we think you'd be great for the position. And I was like, wow, all right. Um, I went home, talked to my wife, uh, and we decided to, to give it a go. So very ironic how things worked out. Uh, very happy that they worked out the way they did. You've got two kids now, is that right? Yes, yes. Did you have kids at the time? I did. We had uh, our son who was uh, at the time oh, about one and a half. And we were just also talking about having or trying for a second one. Um, so there was a lot going on in life. And actually that, that first year um, I went out and, and coached in 17, my wife ended up staying back for the year because she was uh, expecting at that time. And so got back just in time for the birth of our, our second one. So that's kind of one of the things that I um, am curious about. I've coached at the college level, and I know just kind of what that schedule's like and how that works with a family. But how does it work in minor league baseball? I mean, you you could literally be anywhere. I mean, you can uh, – the Yankees have affiliates that are, that are kind of all over the place. Um, you know, how does that work with a family? What's it like uh, going from year to year and maybe even that first year just trying to figure out, okay, I, I'm going to do this. Now, how do you still – you know, how do you see how do you see your family? You're traveling a lot, obviously playing. You're never in one place for very long, even when you have a home stand. It's 
it's a week, ten days max, and then you're then you're gone again. How does that work? Uh, just for a guy that's married, has kids, and, and trying to, you know, be around your family a little bit during the season. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, my my wife is uh, an absolute rock star. I think when when you get married, when you're going through that process, uh, understanding and being as forthcoming as you can with with your significant other is huge. My we my wife and I have been together since junior high school. And so um, she understands the baseball. She's, you know, been with me through all of the baseball. So I think that helps. Um, and then, two, I, she is the definition of selfless. Um, you know, she has got a master's degree. She was uh, doing well in her career. And when I got back into baseball, so we could be together, she stepped away from that and uh, does some uh, small things on the side, but uh, gets to be mom, and and it affords us the opportunity to be together more. Uh, so she'll come down a couple of times uh, in spring training, and then usually we spend about a month and a half to, to two months of the summer together. Uh, then she comes back. So we make it work, and I, I should say she makes it work. She's fantastic. But it, it's those kind of sacrifices that allows me to do what I do, and it is incredibly difficult to be away from the family um, and if we weren't able to be together as much as we are in, in the summers I don't know if I could do what I do um, so you know I think it is a, a testament to her and what she gives up for this family it's it's hard to imagine having a life like that and having that kind of a career with a you know, with a spouse that isn't fully on board, it seems like that would just that would make it really, really difficult. And um, I'm pretty lucky to have one who's who's on board with it. And the fact, I'm sure, the fact that she's been with you since you know since before your college days uh, and, and through playing pro ball, she's got a better idea of things and, and probably better understanding than someone um, without that that background. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it allows uh, us to roll with the punches a little bit more. I think that. You know, not knowing where you're going to be every year, that it could change. Um, especially when I was playing, it could change from day to day, month to month. Um, I think going through that, I don't think you're ever fully prepared, but it allows you to adapt a little quicker. Um, and it's just the crazy lifestyle that we that we live. But uh, you really, really cherish the the off season at that point, um, being home and being with the family, being able to be together for that extended period of time. Um, I think that's what you, you look for uh, when you're in season. You're looking for, all right, I, I can push through, I can make it, because, you know, when I get home, I get I get to be dad, and I get to hang out at home and, and be, you know, present every day. Um, so that part uh, is awesome. So there is some give and take, and it's not for everybody, but it uh, seems to be working for us right now. Um, for people that aren't real familiar with, how a minor league schedule works exactly you do get quite a bit of time off in the in the off season right what's what's the off season like for you uh you know how, as far as how long you're away from the team before you've got to report to spring training uh you know from the end of your season until spring training and then is uh, you know what are you asked uh to do in the off season if anything just kind of curious what yes. that's like for you for, sorry for cutting you off there um yeah for for sure it's it can vary um you know th this past year i was uh was down in our instructional league um so we usually get done roughly beginning of September, maybe second week of September. I was home for a week, and then I went down for uh, a few weeks for our instructional league. I came back, um, and then I have been, I've been home. I've been home since roughly October. Um, now there's other off-seasons. I went down to our Dominican Republic Academy uh, two, two off-seasons ago. Um, I know some guys go out to the Arizona Fall League. Uh, some guys do winter ball. So it definitely varies, but you do, when it is the offseason, you, you do get some time um, at home, extended periods of time at home. And when you go, it's usually no more than two and a half weeks uh, at the most when, when you're off doing something uh, for the organization in the offseason. Okay. It's a cool life. <laughs> it's a cool <laughs> life from the outside looking in, and especially – just being affiliated with a major league organization has just got to be a cool thing. It's something that, that I never got to experience. I didn't get to play in you no know, pro ball or coach in pro ball, but it's, it's something even for me that uh, just kind of outside looking in just is a, is a cool thing. 
even being an associate scout, which I am, is like a cool thing for me just to kind of say you're affiliated with a with an organization. Um, so how old are your kids right now? They're two and four. Okay. Do they have any idea, like, what's happening yet or <laughs> that their dad coaches with the Yankees? No, no. Uh, my oldest uh, just thinks that uh, we must have uh, boatloads of money because we have, uh, you know, a house in Florida and a house in uh, Staten Island and uh, a <laughs> house in, in Iowa. So everywhere we go, whether it's an apartment or a, a hotel, he just associates it as being our house. So I think he uh, <laughs> he thinks I own a, a whole bunch of different houses. <laughs> <laughs> That's real cool. Uh, so coaching in pro ball, you've, you've bounced around to a couple levels. Um, this is, we are in uh, about the middle of January 2020 right now when this is being recorded, and you're not sure exactly what level you're going to be at this year. Uh, but just uh, on a personal level, you know, what are your goals coaching, you know, in, in, in a major league organization? Do you want to stay in the minor leagues? Do you kind of like working with the younger guys? Is it a goal for you someday to potentially, uh, you know, be a coach at some level for, for the major league? team uh, I, I assume you've thought about that and talked about that with your wife yes definitely I mean personally for me uh, everybody's different but personally for me I, I want to move up I'm, I'm ambitious um, I want to challenge myself and I want to be challenged and I think um, to do that uh, you push the envelope um, and so I would like to continue to move up in the ranks i uh, would love to be a, a coordinator at some point and be able to run an organizational an organization's program catching program um and and get that experience and eventually yeah i would i would love to be on the big league side of it in, in some capacity uh, catching coach uh, you know bench coach first base coach third base coach what whatever it may be that's that's the ultimate goal um is, is to get there that was the ultimate goal is uh as a player and now as a coach, uh, that's my goal too, is to get there. Um, and along the way, it's to help as many guys obtain the goal that I wasn't able to obtain. You know, it, it, there's nothing more fulfilling than seeing that a guy that you had maybe in rookie ball that you passed along um, in the organization that went up to every level and everybody had a hand in getting them to where they are. And just knowing that you were a part of that person's progression um, and, and helping him to, you know, move up a level and another level and the other guys now moving him up the next level. And when they get there, just the idea that that guy's fulfilled his dream and you were able to have some kind of impact on that, that makes the coaching side of it just so worth it. That's very, very cool. And I assume that you, you started in AAA, so you probably got to coach a handful of guys who are with the big league team right now, right? Yeah, for sure. And it was it was a little bit odd that first year back because uh, there were still a handful of those guys that I had played with not just a couple years before that were still um, in the system and still trying to make it. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a mix of guys I'd played with and, and then guys that I had met for the first time that had got that call up just that year. Um, it was just a really cool thing to see um, and just the just pure joy that you see on – you know, a 21-year-old's face to, you know, a guy that's making it for the first time at 28, 29, 30 years old. It was just, it was amazing to see that, uh, that just, that joy um, that they, they had all on their face when, when you were able to tell them, hey, you're going up. I'm going to ask you a name drop just, just one time. Tell me the coolest name, the biggest name person that you've got in your cell phone right now that you can call or text. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um I don't know. Uh, you know, probably Gary Sanchez. We played together for a long time, um, and that's well noted what he what he's done up there and, and the hitting prowess that he has. And uh, I think everyone will be pleasantly surprised with with the catching strides that he's going to make this year. Um, so yeah, it'd be Gary. Gary Gary's the man. <laughs> that's a good name. Good name to have in the cell phone. Um, so just going back to coaching. You know, where did your where did the passion for catching come from? Like I read, uh, you know, I read an article just before we did this, just about even uh, you in college when you first got signed, and you were going to be an older guy that was going to be in the Gulf Coast Rookie League, and and even then it was like it was almost like you had a coaching mentality, like yeah, I'm going to be brought in to work with these young guys and to kind of help the you know the 18, 19 year olds and or any uh, you know maybe 
I don't know if there were any any guys that came to like the Dominican League or anything like that, but just helping young guys to figure out how to control the game, you know, how to work counts, how to, how to you know how to uh, work different hitters. But it seemed like you almost had a coaching mentality back then, even as you were still playing. Where did the passion come from to to coach catchers and just to get into this game as a as a coach? I think it was I went all the way back to to high school. Um, you know, I enjoyed helping and teaching and so when I went into college I kind of knew that I wanted to to be a teacher and I think teaching and coaching go hand in hand I think going through the education program at the University of Iowa you learn how to teach Um, and I've got a passion for that and I think the teaching directly correlates with with coaching and so when I was able to I was always an older guy in the minor leagues just uh, because of the fifth year free agent sign Um, being able to teach and talk and help, um, you know, develop some of these guys and give them things that, um, you know, maybe I didn't know when I was coming up through. Um, and I think that the, especially the catching position, why I fell in love with that is, um, you know, a lot of what I had known um, you know, up until the college was, was very self-taught. Um, and I thought there was a, a deficiency in, how we went about um, developing catchers at the younger levels. And so being able to uh, learn and soak up as much as I possibly could and then go home in the off seasons and then give that to the youth around our area through lessons, camps. Um, I think that's where just uh, the obsession and the passion from the catching side of it uh, really started to grow. I think it's very cool. And, um, you know, the fact that you've coached at a couple of different levels is also a cool thing to me. You've, you've coached high school for a couple of years and got that experience. Now you're coaching guys in pro ball. Uh, you're obviously around a really high level of, of college baseball. Um, what was – how much different is, is coaching at the different levels? I, I know that you didn't coach in college, but, but you've, you've seen what the coaching is like there. You've coached 16-, 17-, 18 year olds and now you're coaching these minor league guys. Does, coach, does the coaching change a lot at the different levels? Or is it just, um, you know, the the level of information you're passing on? Like, is it? I mean, is it different to coach a guy who signed a pro contract and and thinks he's going to be in the big leagues as opposed to, you know, a high school kid who, you know, just wants to start, wants to have a good senior year? At the, at the foundation, no, there's not a lot of differences. Um, we can, you know, break it down. Whereas in uh, high school. Um, you might have been have to have been a little bit more authoritarian, uh, putting in your program. You know, maybe you hold these guys uh, accountable with with their schoolwork, uh, making sure they're at practice on time, teaching them some life lessons. Where in pro ball, um, it's really a, a partnership, um, and you're working with these guys on a daily basis. But at the at the ground level, at the foundation, it's all about creating trust uh, with the player and creating a relationship with your players and showing them that, that you care um, and that you are invested in their development as a person and as a player. Um, I think if that's the approach at the high school level, the college level, at the pro level, you're going to have success because guys that trust you and know that you're invested in them will then in turn invest in you and, and give you what they're able to offer. Um, and I think that's where growth happens. Um, so, yeah, when you get into pro ball, there's some small differences, but at the root of it, no. Treat everybody the same. You show them love. You show them respect. Create that relationship, um, and and good things will happen. How do you show a player exactly that you care about them beyond what they're doing on the field? I, I think, you know, there there are coaches out there, and probably myself included, as a, at a time when I was especially a young coach where. Um, you know, as a young coach, for me, I was – and, man, I don't know if maybe it's like this for you or maybe it's not since you're kind of the same uh, – well, at least when you started, you're roughly the same age as some of the guys you're coaching. But I kind of wanted to – I, I kind of wanted to separate myself and didn't want to have too much of a personal relationship with guys because when you just start coaching in college, like you're only a couple of years young, older than some of these guys. And mm-hmm. um, uh, but, but how do you show a guy that you care about them – more more so than just their production on the field? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, I, there's different answers here, but for me, um, it's 
showing that I am prepared and that I'm the same guy every day, that it doesn't matter if they are the top prospect or, you know, a guy that is a role player uh, or if he was 0 for 4 or 4 for 4, that I'm the same guy every day. I'm prepared every day. Um, I'm going about my business the same way every single day. I'm treating everybody the same. Um, that's on the on on the baseball side of things. Um, if they see that they respect the amount of time you're putting in, that you're ready to answer their questions when they uh, approach you with them. Um, but then, you know, talking to them, learning them as a person, trying to figure out how they learn, um, trying to you know figure a little bit out about their family, uh, about life in general, and and creating an, an actual relationship based off of tangible things um, that's not 100% about the baseball. Um, you know, especially at the minor league side, we're going to spend five five months straight with these guys. Um, you know, some less if they're going up or going down, but majority of guys, you're going to spend about five months with these guys. Uh, and if it's just solely 100% baseball, you're leaving a lot on the table. And so I think really investing in that person and, and who they are is huge. Um, and I understand what you're saying about, you know, you, you didn't want to get too attached or create such a personal relationship. And, and for me, um, right or wrong, I can really separate um, business and relationship. And, and that's, I guess that's part of the pro game is you've got to have these great relationships, but at the end of the day, we're going to need to make tough decisions. And I think that as long as you are, 100% transparent with these guys that at our level that they will respect that than trying to tell these guys or sugarcoat things. Um, so you create that relationship and then you know they know that there's the business side of it and that within that you have to make tough decisions. Um, and at least the good coaches that I, I've been around um, at the pro level, that's kind of how they went about their business. Um, and so I've got to be able to learn from some of those guys, and at least that's what I try to do and try to emulate, create the personal relationship, being able to separate the business side of it, um, and fully invest in every guy that you can. I'm sure that's not easy to do at the pro level because, I mean, you spend five straight months with these guys, but you only have those five months. As a, as a college coach, you're with guys for, you know, junior college guys, you might have them for a year or two. Uh, but a lot of four-year players you're going to have for three, four, even five years. You know, high school coaches are going to have guys for at least four years, if not uh, in their middle school days as well. You know, trying to really get to know somebody uh, in, in a five-month period, I mean, you're with them every day, granted, but uh, but that's got to be a, a challenge and something that you, you know, probably have to consciously spend time on every day, I would assume. Definitely. I'm, I know that uh, personally it's, grabbing a kid every day at stretch right after BP, shagging balls in the outfield during BP, during bullpens, and just just talk and not, not bring up the baseball, you know. That's what they live every single day. And, you know, especially from being a catching guy or a base running guy, like when I'm grabbing these pitchers, I'm not going to be sitting there telling them, hey, we need, we need to spin the ball better. We got to get our fingers here. I'm, I'm going to be talking to them about personal stuff and what's going on in their life. Um, and then also gives me insight to be able to bring that back to, to, the, to the pitching coach that sometimes, you know, they're teaching so much, maybe they don't have the opportunity to, to get as in-depth in with, you know, a couple of their pitchers. And I said, hey, you know, I was just talking with, you know, player X here, and, you know, he's, he's got a couple things going on at, at home. Maybe, maybe ask that uh, to him and might lead us to some of the reasons why He's struggling, um, but being able to be around these guys every single day. I mean, more, a lot of these guys will get to the ballpark between twelve and one o'clock, and then we're going home at twelve o'clock in the morning. You know, so we're, we're spending twelve hours a day with these guys and, and road trips, and so there's plenty of time to to get to know these guys. So, though, so yeah, we may only spend that one year with them. Um, a lot of these guys may repeat. You may move up with them. So there's more time. But I think just being with them so much every single day, you're, you're able to create that relationship if you put a little effort for it. 
<laughs> I don't know if this is a good example or not, but it made me think of the movie Trouble with the Curve uh, with Clint Eastwood that I, I, I like a lot of it, like parts of it, don't like some parts of it, but there's one minor leaguer there that's really struggling, and uh, Clint Eastwood's character is like, well, no wonder he's struggling. He hasn't seen his family you know, in, in so many months, and they bring the family down, and then he starts hitting again. But, uh, oh, but you don't think about that kind of stuff from from our perspective a lot of time. I have a minor league team that's in town where I live, and you just – it's it's not something you think about unless you think about it, I, I guess. But I mean, heck, these guys are struggling. They could have a lot of stuff going on. They're a long way from home. Could have a girlfriend at home. You know, could have a girlfriend with and a, and a kid at home, or a wife and a kid, or, or whatever. It's uh, there's, there could be a lot of stuff happening. Could be stuff with their family. Somebody's sick at home. They can't get home to see them. So I'm sure there's a lot of stuff these guys deal with. Yeah, you nailed it. There definitely is. And I think it was a good example. Uh, I like that movie, but it can be as simple as as that. You know, guys, guys struggling just. Wants wants to see his parents, or you know, missing missing home for a little bit. You know, we we deal with a lot of the last two years in, in the short season, New York Penn. We we deal with uh, a lot of college guys that are getting into pro ball for the first time. They've been going since hard um, since the fall before. You know, they go through a full fall, starting in January, ramping it back up. They go through a season of of college ball, and then they come straight into the professional season. Usually, that first um, I would say roughly month is it, it, fairly good. The energy's up. They're excited, and the, that second month can really, really be a drag on those guys. And uh, a lot of things um, are easily um, you can be easily distracted uh, because the body starts to break down. And I think that's where, at least the last few years, I've had a, a pleasure of getting to know guys um, when they're fairly vulnerable, um, and it's been kind of fun. Now, do you guys have? <clears throat> mental strength coaches at the minor league level that will help with stuff like that, help a guy, especially a college guy that, that you know, hasn't been home since Christmas, you know, or potentially in some of these guys, or at least maybe for a couple of days around the draft, um, especially guys that, that play in, in the, in the postseason in college, like they, a lot of times they're, they're getting drafted when they're still playing on TV. Um, yeah. Do you have, do you have those mental strength coaches at the minor league levels that work with guys or is that, you know, really the job of the coaches to to help kids through that that sort of difficult transition and the, the difficult time where they've been away from home for a long, long time. Yeah, it's definitely a partnership. Um, but we do we we have a, a mental conditioning staff. Um, I think we are four, three or four um, within within our staff, and uh, they do a fantastic job of. You know, flagging some people um, and being able to stay in contact with those and others, know that they can reach out. Um, and there's uh, a lot of videos and articles and stuff that are, are shared with group text messages that uh, guys can can read and give perspective. Um, but then also us being able, as coaching staff, to share to that mental conditioning staff uh, maybe some concerns about players, um, or they share with, hey, keep an eye on. Um, Joe because you know he's struggling a little bit so there's a partnership but we're very grateful to to have a staff and that is really good at what they do so uh, they're able to take care of a take care of some of those things you mentioned a few minutes ago that you know part of uh, of players uh, part of your relationship with players and showing them that you care is to be the same person every day no matter how they're playing no matter what their draft status was um, and also being prepared and that part kind of uh, just, you know, struck me. I wanted to write that write that down and ask you about it. So what kind of preparation you go through every day as a minor league coach? Is, is, it, um, uh, you know, is it prep work on the other team? Is it, is it prep work that, uh, you know, I guess, well, what, I'll let you answer, but what kind of prep work are you doing day-to-day as a minor league coach for your guys? So in terms of uh, the catching side of it, uh, you know, I'll laid out, roughly the the month in advance of how I want to uh, attack our, our work and granted that that's going to change right it's it's fluid if, if we're struggling in certain areas but so I, I already know a month in advance and I'll let the guys know hey this is our homestand this is what the work's going to look like so we've got to plan out for the, the month I get there uh, make sure I'm set up ready to go for that um, I watch the film from the from the day before um, as soon as the catchers get there I bring them in and, and we'll go through uh, the starters video from the day before we'll uh, we'll break it down we'll talk about it um, and then we get straight into the cage and we'll be able to then attack 
our daily work and then maybe some more specific things that we've been seeing over film. Um, so I try to make them a, a part of the process uh, as much as possible. Um, try not to overwhelm them and give them, you know, a few things to work on. Um, knowing full well there's plenty of things, and I, and I learned this from um, 2017, uh, P.J. Pilateri, uh was our hitting coach, uh, who's now the assistant hitting coach with uh, with the big clubs, and, uh, you know, he taught me, um, and it's it stayed with me ever since, it's like, you don't necessarily want to come in and tell them what they're doing wrong. There's things you need to be working on, but you need to have invested the time and know what you can do to help that kid. So when that he's ready and he comes to you and he asks you, what do you see? And you're right away, boom, ready to go. You know, you've already looked at it and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you brought this up. I wanted, I wanted you to be open and, and ready to, uh, to make the changes. This is what I see. This is how we're going to attack it. And this is how I think you can get better. Um, and so that's kind of the approach that, that I take every single day is, you know, giving them some bits of uh, information, then leading them down the path, and then hopefully that they come to the conclusion of like, hey, you know, this is what I need to do or this is what I'm seeing. What do you got? And you're ready. You've done your homework. You've done your prep work. You've looked into advance and how to attack these things. So I think that was a huge learning um, lesson for me uh, that first year, and I was really appreciative to have had that conversation with PJ and that he uh, was able to, to teach me that little tidbit, and I use it every day. You are teaching guys to really call the game for the first time in a lot of situations in the New York Penn League, right? Because a lot of these college, especially the college guys that are coming to you straight out of college, you know, not guys that started in rookie ball and moved their way up. But I, I would assume it's still the same that most colleges are calling pitches for guys. Is that right? And you're having to, in addition to probably some other stuff you're doing, you're teaching these catchers to call the game for the first time? Yes. Um, so when they first come to us, I, I'll, at our level, I really hammer um, – some of the game management um, and glove work, glove pass, kind of attacking more, maybe some of the mechanical things. Um, we will talk about uh, game calling, and I usually will do that during our film sessions. Um, but at least the last two years with my pitching coach that uh, I've been able to work with, he's done a very, very good job of grabbing the pitcher um, and, and the catcher and we try to get those guys to be able to sit close together on the bench so they can talk, right, the communication part of it. But he'll grab them in between innings and really talk through some sequences, uh, maybe how they could have gone about it a little bit better or, or ask them why they went about it a certain way, um, just so they're thinking about it. So uh, we kind of tag team it. You know, he's our pitching guy for our level, did a really nice job of handling in-game, and then we would talk retrospectively. Uh, after the game film session. So just along those lines, uh, if, if you had to put a number on it on a scale of 1 to 100, in the minor league level, especially when you probably don't have an incredible amount of information on opposing hitters, how much of the game is called based on a pitcher's strength compared to a hitter's weakness? Like is it 50-50, is it 50-40 is one way or the other, or is it, or is it more extreme than that? I think it'd be a little bit more extreme than that um, at, at our levels. Uh, we have so many new draft guys, and we do have plenty of information that we get from uh, the other team, how reliable that is, the sample size, that all plays into it. Um, but I know what I tell our guys uh, behind the plate is, when in doubt, you go your pitcher strengths. You know, they're learning how to sequence locations, setting guys up, but go to your guys strength. Um, as we continue to move up, it's going to be more probably 50-50, 40-60 if you get up to the upper levels and really attacking uh, that hitter's weakness. Uh, but I, at our level, I, I would say 70-30, like, hey, we're going to go with our guy's strength and what he does best. And as we continue throughout a game and a guy is one of their better hitters, okay, maybe we may try to attack some of his weaknesses that we've seen throughout the season. But for the most part, you know, trust that pitcher, trust his stuff, let him pitch to his strength because that's where they're going to be most confident.
So getting into a little bit of defensive work with catchers, which is you know one of your maybe it is your the specialty for you. Um, you said before we started this podcast that you think that catching is um, is is really vastly undertaught at lower levels. You know from from little league all the way through even college programs. Um, it, it's just it's not a, a position that's especially well taught. What do you see uh, when you get guys for the first time in pro ball? What are some maybe typical things that you see or, or some of the most common things that you see with catchers that you need to work on, you need to make them better at once you get a hold of them? Uh, being loud, and, and that encompasses a lot. A lot of times we'll see, we'll see loud bodies, uh, a lot of movement, uh, shoulder movements, um, uh, hard with our hands, really kind of attacking balls and really catching them in extended positions. Um, and so we really attack right away is trying to calm them down with their body, eliminate, limit that body movement, um, focus on hands and how we can soften those up a little bit. Um, a lot of that comes with stances. Um, you know, guys put themselves in, into bad positions, uh, whether they think they have to be in a certain stance or whether they're not physically able to get into a uh, position um, to enable them to have success. So we'll look at their positioning, we'll look at their uh, physical makeup, um, and then we'll try to start just calming them down in general and uh, get them to a position where, we'll, where we are working underneath the ball because um, that's, that's huge uh, for us. We want to be able to work underneath the ball, work up through catch. How you get there, um, everybody can is slightly different, and we could argue about it. But if we can get below the ball and we can – work up to the ball, we're going to be in, in, in a pretty good position. So that's kind of where we start with and what we start with. So with the daily work that you do with your own catchers, uh, when you get into defensive work, how much of that is you mentioned several times just about about glove work that you're working on. You mentioned uh, just kind of cleaning up some stances. What, what is a typical what's typical daily work that you're doing with your catchers? You know, taking out if you have someone who needs specific work. Just generally speaking, how much time are you spending on on different parts of the game uh, defensively on a day to day basis with your guys? Yeah, anywhere from 25 to 40 minutes. However, we can fit it in um, if we need to do some maintenance um, or work on some some glove patternings and. That may take a little bit longer. We'll try to, to work up in that 40, 40 minute range. Um, and we'll, as long as we've got it planned out, you work with their manager, you can find that, find that time, especially for the catchers before bullpens, during bullpens. There's plenty of ways to fit it in. Um, but yeah, 25 to 40 minutes uh, every day, taking into account workloads and how much your starters catching, how many days in a row he's caught, are we coming off a long road trip, is it a day game, is it a night game, afternoon game, taking all that into account and then uh, deciding how we want to go about our work. But for us every day, 25 to 40 minutes, um, attacking, usually the receiving thing every day. Uh, that's the most important thing that we have uh, until they go to robo-umpires, which is another another argument for another day. Well, let's hope not. Um, but uh, attacking the receiving every single day and then off of that receiving um, maybe uh, addressing a, a specific need of that catcher, um, then work in another aspect of uh, the position, whether it's, you know, plays, um, bunts, plays the plate, um, uh, catcher pop-ups to, you know, blocking and, and throwing the ball to second base. Um, but I guess everything starts and, and ends with receiving. Is receiving such a big deal because you are – I guess is the big thing about receiving that you are trying to not, I want to say steal strikes, but you're trying to make strikes look like strikes. I mean, is that the thing about a guy that's bad receiving? Is he losing strikes or is there another reason that you focus so much on the receiving uh, other than just getting strike calls when you should get strike calls? So uh, down to the ABCA convention a couple weeks ago, um, Ryan Sienko of the Dodgers uh, spoke, he's a coordinator and um, I took something away from him that I like, and I thought he did a better job of explaining. And the reason why I'm using it is, it's like we're trying to increase the percentage uh, that 
that specific pitch that we just called is called a strike. Um, it's not we're trying to steal it. It's up to the umpire to call it a ball or a strike. Um, so if, you know, this ball is considered a strike 50% of the time, well, we're going to try to catch that ball correctly and put a good move on the baseball to be able to make that maybe a 55% uh, strike. Because though on a pitch-to-pitch -pitch basis, the run value of receiving is fairly low. We got, we're going to be catching 75 pitches in a, in a ball game. You do that over the course of a year, it is obvious that over time the run value is huge in receiving just because of the sheer amount of times we're going to receive. So we're not trying to steal strikes. We're trying to be able to be in the best possible position to increase the percentage of a chance that it is called a strike. Uh, we give that umpire the best uh, look at it, um, and we're increasing probabilities. I like the way you put that, and I'm an odds guy in a, in a lot of ways, just even just with, you know, things with my kids, like uh, <laughs> it's totally off subject to baseball, but just like I, I want my kids to be friends with good families because you increase the odds that your kids are going to be influenced by good people when they get older and they're going to make good decisions. And like, and, and like everything in my life, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, Increase odds of good things happening. So yeah. I like how you there's put all, that. There's, there's always the, the, the possibility and the odds that they'll go the other way. But if we can put ourselves in, in favorable positions in life and in baseball, uh, I like my chances. That's right. Um, how much of receiving do you believe can be taught? Um, is, there, is there anything that really can't be? Like if a guy's just kind of got his, his hands, his reactions are a little bit slow or he's a little bit, his hands are a little bit hard, is that something you can coach out of him or do you think some of that? at least some of that is, is just kind of a natural God-given ability for a guy. I can teach you how to receive. I can teach you how to make good moves on the baseball. I can teach you good path work. I can teach you how to successfully manipulate a baseball. I, I can teach you the catching position. All right. But what things that I've seen that are really hard that we, we can't teach, guys that have really good hands and guys that have quick hands. You know, those middle infielders that you look in the big leagues that everything just looks so smooth and they're soft and the ball's in and out of the glove. Like, I can't teach that. We can teach you some things to, to help with that. And I can teach you how to be in the best possible position. Um, but in terms of, like, hands, I can't teach hands. I can't teach you how to have great hands. Like, that's why – a lot of guys you see in the in the big leagues, and you can go through. There's quite a few converted middle infielder, corner infield guys behind the plate that have made it to the big leagues. Because a lot of times, what 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 works, their hands really really work. Um, and so that's something I look for with with our catchers is just their their just their their pure hands. Like how good are their hands? How soft? How quick are they? Because uh, I can teach you the rest. As a college coach, when when you are recruiting a catcher, or things may have changed in the past five years based on something I don't know, but but in that time it was uh, it was really important to see a catcher catch velocity. Like if you only saw a high school catcher, the best arm on his own team was 78 miles an hour. Uh, it was going to be super difficult to figure out whether or not that guy was going to be able to catch low to mid-90s when he got to the next level. Is that something that you think – maybe you haven't had that situation happen much. Obviously, the guys that you get are, are probably not in that situation. But is that something that you think can be taught, or is that something that if there's a, a college coach listening to this um, or even a high school coach listening to this who's got good velocity on his team and he's kind of bringing up like a – he's got a good middle schooler that's going to catch velocity for the first time in the next couple of years. Like, is that something you think can be taught? Are there drills – uh, to, to help a guy when he's catching velocity for the first time to be able to react to it? Because I've seen it myself, just a high school guy comes to college and all of a sudden he's catching this velocity and he seems overwhelmed, just like a hitter would. He seems overwhelmed catching that velocity. Is that something you think can be taught? And if so, do you have any, any good suggestions? Yeah, I, I think it can definitely be caught, uh, be taught. Um, I think that you'll find out very quickly whether that guy either has bad hands um, or if he just hasn't seen that velocity, because they'll adapt to it pretty quickly. Um, the best way to uh, 
to drill it is to overtrain, um, put them in front of a machine and turn that machine up. Um, and good luck, figure it out. Uh, because <laughs> it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty amazing what the human body is able to do. If you, if, if us as coaches get out of the way and we put them into a drill and say, this is the goal, figure out how you can achieve it. Uh, the body will self-orientate, uh, will, you'll figure it out. You're not going to like to get thumbed every single time. You're going to start to try to problem solve. And then the guys that, that can't and can't adapt, those are usually the guys that weed themselves out. You realize, okay, man, he just doesn't have very, very good hands. Um, but I would say, yeah, you, I can teach you how to catch 95. Um, now, if, if that guy misses the spot by two or three inches, I'm not promising you're going to be able to react and, and, and catch that, <laughs> that ball <laughs> in, in a good position. But I, I can teach you how to catch high velocity. Um, I had a, a guy, uh, a young guy last night, and um, Dad was asking, well, how fast that's going? I was like, well, it's equivalently to 88 to 90 miles an hour. It's like, well, I'm, well guy's never going to catch that. He's, He's only in junior high. He's never going to be able. He's never going to catch that. I said, well, "Is he having a problem catching it now?" He's like, "No." I said, "Well, there you go. We're going to train that. We're going to overtrain it and put you in situations to fail because then the game is easier." So that's how I would attack uh, velocity. And then in terms of whether this guy can handle velocity or not, just uh, wash wash the hands. If the hands are are working and he's being able to catch the ball softly and he's pocketing the baseball every single time, there's going to be a good chance that I can make him be able to catch very high velocities. Yeah. I like that. And that's always something that uh, I was uh, an emergency catcher in college and had to had to do some of that myself. And sometimes <laughs> it wasn't as much fun as others. So you, you, you said that uh, the coaching – at lower levels for catching is not the best. Uh, what's the solution to that? How, how does a you know a coach that wants to that wants to get better, or somebody that just knows that, that catching is not a strength for them? What what would you suggest to someone like that just as a way to get better? Do their homework. There's there's plenty of information out there. Um, I advocate Twitter. Um, I know you do a really nice job with. Uh, your website um, of, of get on there and, and look for for catching drills. Um, ask questions. Reach out to people. Figure out um, you know, what these drills are specifically targeting. How they need to progress. Um, and then I guess the second part of that is figure out how to put them into practice. I talked about this at uh, the ABCA convention to the to the youth coaches is how to fit in 15 minutes of catching time into every one of your practices because it is left out. Um, and, and I understand why. Like, we, we don't know the position that well. We don't know the drills that well. It's a, uh, in terms of your entire team, a smaller portion of guys are going to be playing uh, the catching position. And so it is hard to, to, to plan in that time. But if, if you look at your practice plans and your objective um, and your creative, you can find there is plenty of time to fit in uh, catching. Whether at the in our in our throwing program, the last you know three minutes as we work out the you know however far you're gonna work out, 120, 90, 60 feet. When you're working back in, now we're gonna roll the ball in front of us and pick up and we're doing a couple of bunts. We can work in our plays that way. We can do a couple, you know, exchange throws to second base. We've already worked on, you know, throws to, to second. And we're going to work on throws to third. And we can do this all within our, our catch play. All right, so if we do three minutes, now, now you only need about 12 to 15 minutes at any other time, whether they come early, whether they stay late, whether, you know, as the rest of the team does base running one day, you know, two of your catchers don't do base running and they, and they work – uh, a set amount of drills that we've discussed pre-practice or whether we're hitters and everybody's hitting in that last group after we've already gone through six stations of hitting, they don't do the seventh station. Uh, and they take that 12 minutes to, to work in a little bit of catching. So you can be creative. There's plenty of time to find it. Work it into the, the practice plan. You need to be able to plan so you can have it all set up and you're ready to go and then know what you're doing. Do, do the research. There's plenty of information out there. Get on the Internet. Search it. Get on Twitter. Search it. Um, but, yeah, put the work in, and you'll be able to at least help your catchers um, develop.
certainly there's a lot of great stuff on Twitter that you'll see and on, at figureitoutbaseball.com. If you're not familiar with it, if you're listening to this podcast but you haven't been to the website, it's a free website um, where we've got videos from college and, and pro guys who um, are pretty much helping in every – you can find video on about any subject that you want, and we certainly are trying to make it the best resource that we can for people that want to learn, uh, you know, similar stuff just to what you're, what you're seeing at conventions, you know, guys just sharing information. Um, uh, so hopefully if you haven't visited figuredoutbaseball.com, you'll take a chance to, to check that out and see what's there. Uh, a couple more questions for you, Tyson, and then I'll, and I'll, I'll let you go. Um, just staying on the, the practice side of things and opportunities for coaches to help guys get better, uh, do you see bullpens as a chance for catchers to practice, uh, or, or are you focusing on other things during the bullpen where you're not necessarily – you know, focusing on receiving or focusing on some different things you're working on with the guy's stance and kind of pre-pitch setup or anything like that. Is, uh, how do you view bullpens as a catching coach? 100% that it, it's a time to get better. Um, what, I, what I don't like to see is that being the only time to get better. Um, I think a, a lot of uh, high school coaches uh, fall into that. Oh, our guy's catching bullpen. Okay. Well, if that's going to be the only time that we're spending to try to get better, well, that bullpen better be scripted for our catchers. We better be doing, um, you know, catching from this stance and that stance. We better be working from the ground up. We better be doing a variety of different drills during that pen if that's the only time you're going to work. Uh, but I would rather have some time outside of there to, to work. And then when you get into your pen, it's more of a competitive environment. You have two guys catching. Um, create a, a game, a scoring system, whether they, you know, make the glove pop or whether it rattles around in the glove. You know, it pops, you give them two points. If you just catch it, you're getting one. And if you drop it, minus two. And, and you can um, create just a, a competitive environment just in our bullpen. So these guys are doing uh, just not mindless work, but they're really focused in and they're actually trying to, to get better and compete. Because uh, I think things, uh, our focus is so much better when we compete. So, yeah, I love using bullpens as a time to get better, just hopefully not the only time. Very cool. A couple last questions. Um, if you don't mind, we'll kind of uh, flip the switch a little bit and ask not quite so on-field baseball-specific stuff, but just a couple things that I'm just curious about. And I think, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to just kind of get your take on. Uh, first one is just what what is something that you do just as a coach or even as a person, if there's anything you can point to to help yourself be as efficient, as focused, as centered, as productive as possible, is there anything that Tyson Blazer does that helps you to be, uh, I, I guess, your best every day? You mentioned earlier in the podcast that you, you kind of want to be the same guy every day for your players. Um, is, is there anything specifically that you do to help yourself be that person every day, to be the best yeah. you can be every day? It, it may it may be a, a little different, but get away from it. Um, you know, we get into the season and we're going to spend 12 hours. So, like when when we when I leave that field and I can get home to my family from, you know, or before I leave when I'm in season, we're playing night games. It's you know, it's like hey, from eight o'clock till I leave for the field at 11:30 or 12, um, it is no baseball i'm trying to turn my brain off and, and and fully invest and be present uh in that time and that is the time that it gives me a chance to to recharge my batteries it gives me just that little escape so then when i go to the field that i can give all my energy to the baseball side of things and then when i get home i can give my energy to my family and my wife i think that is uh, a way that I am able to go about my work every single day um, and, and be rejuvenated and be excited about uh, doing what I do. I'm sure it's no, no different than a coach for, you know, than it is for a coach and for other people uh, where there are times when things get overwhelming, whether you have family things in addition to what's happening with baseball or uh, just, you know, whatever it may be. Is there anything that you do when you're feeling overwhelmed to kind of bring you back to that place where uh, where you can feel a little bit centered and you can feel just things slow down for yourself? Yeah. Um, you know, maybe not the great advice, but uh, I have a really, really good relationship with my father and we talk every day. And so um, 
kudos to him, but uh, he's kind of uh, my punching bag of sorts when, when I do get overwhelmed or, or frustrated or um, just feel like I have too much on my plate. I just get to unload it on his. Um, and, and I call him up and I just, I just spew it all and I talk and I talk out loud and it's kind of therapeutic for me to be able just to get it off, off my chest and get it out and be able to verbalize it. Um, and then he, he, he's uh, gracious enough to, to listen to that and let me get it all out. And then we'll talk a little bit about other things and wife and kid and then we're done and I get to move on and I can leave that frustration or stress and I can kind of kind of leave it there on him so that's how I do it it works for me um and like I said I'm grateful for my uh, for my pops being able to uh to take uh take all of that information in and all that uh stress off of me I've got a dad who does similar things for me and and God bless the dads out there that, yeah. that do that for their kids that are they're around to be able to do it um Tell me something that you're most excited about right now. It's January. It's not uh, a super exciting time for baseball, but what is something that you are maybe most excited about right now in your own life, in, in baseball, whatever it is? Yeah, I'm most excited about uh, the season getting ready to, to start again. I know that's probably the cliche answer, but it's uh, been a uh, long off season. Um, got to do a lot of different things, and, We've had a lot of changes within our organization. Uh, we've got a, a new catching program and new catching regime that is uh, is in place, and I'm really excited to get down to Tampa and kind of learn from them, um, learn the new style, um, and, and what that's going to all entail. So I'm looking forward to getting going. Where does the new style come from? Is that a new a new coach that comes in that kind of brings that, or, or where does that where does that come where does that you know stem from? Yeah, so uh, Tanner Swanson is. Um, our big league uh, catching coach. We had hired him this year. He's quality control coach too, and he's going to have a fairly big say in what uh, we're going to do as an organization. We brought in Aaron Kirschenfeld, who's the coordinator of our catchers from the Citadel. Um, very like-minded as Tanner, has some really, really good ideas. And so those two together um, are going to be able to put a program together, put it in place, and uh, kind of lead us in, in, in our new direction of how we're going to attack the catching position. Very cool. Last one. Um, besides the Figured Out Baseball podcast, obviously, uh, do you have any uh, any books, any websites, any podcasts that uh, that you've read recently or listened to, or you know things that you kind of frequent that help you baseball wise um, that you might recommend to other people to listen to that are just looking for other ways other than you know, what they've got in front of them to get better. And, and again, books, websites, podcasts, anything that you kind of frequent um, that you recommend other people get into. Yeah. The, uh, the ABCA podcast um, is, uh, is always a good one. Um, I know that uh, Jimmy Schuttinger used to run it. Um, now it's uh, Ryan Brownlee is doing it. He does a really, really nice job. Um, so I listen to that one um, in terms of books. Uh, reading a lot of uh, children's books right now. <laughs> read, a, read, a, read, read, read a few every night, but uh, Catching the Moon, for any dads out there, Catching the Moon is a, is a very good uh, baseball uh, book for your for your kids that you can read before bed. It's got a great uh, message behind it. Of, you, know, you can do uh, anything that you set your mind to, so uh, my kids uh, really like that one right now. <laughs> so. That's what that's what uh that's on my plate right now. When when I, when season comes around, we'll dive back into baseball savant, reading all sorts of uh, baseball articles and looking at numbers. So right now, I'm uh, really enjoying uh, the the kids' books. It's funny that you say that. I I was a journalism major in college, and I uh, I once interviewed Freddie Sanchez. And I asked him a similar question, just kind of like, what are you into right now? What are you, you know, watching, listening to, whatever, kind of just a kind of a fun type of question. And, and he said, uh, you know, favorite show right now is Go Diego Go. Uh, <laughs> it's my kid's favorite show. That's pretty much what I'm watching, you know, every morning. So just kind of remind me of that. But uh, uh, Tyson, I really appreciate you being here with us. This is Tyson Blazer, everybody. He is a catching coach in the New York Yankees minor league system. Um, I just sincerely appreciate your time today pretty clear to see that as a young ambitious 
driven coach, uh, to me, you know, mature beyond your years. And I just think you bring a great perspective and a great kind of a grounded outlook to things that you're doing. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. It's been a great conversation with you and just really uh, appreciate your time being with us today. Well, Jeff, I, I appreciate it. I, I love what you're doing. Um, keep doing it. Uh, go out there, check out the website, uh, get on the Twitter. I think it is invaluable and it's awesome that it's free. Um, so I can't say enough good things about you. Uh, really appreciate you reaching out. Had an absolute blast talking with you today. Anytime you get to talk baseball and life in general and how the two coincide is uh, something I'm grateful for. Absolutely. Really enjoyed it. And if you happen to be in Trenton this year, uh, when you come through Altoona, we'll have to grab uh, a little dinner together someday. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot. Uh, appreciate everything, and best of luck to you and the organization going forward. Thank you.